I was in a coma for six weeks while the doctors told my wife I was going to die. When I woke up, she told me the most fantastic story. My team kept running the business without me. Freelancers reached out to my team and said, we will do whatever it takes as long as Craig's in the hospital. I consider that the greatest accomplishment in my career. My name is Craig Andrews, and this is the Leaders and Legacies podcast, where we talk to leaders creating an impact beyond themselves. At the end of today's interview, I'll tell you how you can be the next leader featured on this show. All right, today I'm excited to introduce Ryan Dice. You know, I met Ryan several years ago, and one of the things I noticed over the years is every time I met Ryan, I had this weird internal desire to pay him money. And it really confounded me. I was like, how does he do this? And so that's one of the questions I'm hoping to have answered today as we're talking to Ryan. And if you've not heard of Ryan Dice, or actually, let me put it this way. If you've been in a room listening to Ryan Dice, almost certainly you're sharing that room with people that crossed oceans to hear him speak. And so I'm so excited to bring him here to you today on the Leaders and Legacies podcast. Ryan, welcome. Thanks for having me. And uh, I appreciate uh, the desire to give me money. That, that's always appreciated. Uh, feel free to keep it up. Well, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. It, it fascinated me uh, because it's not because you're doing the hard sell, but somehow you figured out how to trigger something inside of me that, uh, and I'll tell you, and one thing that, you know, I've told my wife when, you know, various times where you've had an offer and you say, Hey, here's this offer. And often it was, you know, several thousand dollars. And when we've contemplated that offer, the, the answer has always been, well, I feel like um, every time I get I give Ryan money, I get way more back in return. So yeah, then that's that's the goal. I appreciate that. I'm I'm, I'm happy to hear. I'm, I'm even happier to hear that part than the, than the first part because if you only achieve the first part, which is to get people to give you money, but you don't achieve the second part, which is for them to be thrilled that they did it and to want to do it again, then you're not going to be around. You're not going to be in business for very long. So I I appreciate the first part. I appreciate the second part even more. Yeah. Well, so let's let's back up a little bit. You know, so rumor has it the thing that got you into digital marketing involved a woman. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I think what got me into digital marketing was that I just needed to make money. Um, and, and so it's funny. Um, I uh, yeah, I mean, to tell a quick uh, make a make a very long 20 plus year story short. Um, went to University of Texas. Uh, my freshman year, I met a girl, decided within a couple of weeks that she was probably the woman I was going to marry. I uh, didn't tell her that because uh, even uh, I and my immature 19-year-old uh, state knew that that would be a little weird and a little bit creepy. Um, but what I realized is that, okay, this is, this world isn't just about me anymore. Um, and, and I knew that I had to figure out something different and better because I didn't really have a clear plan for my life. I was just kind of going with the flow, doing what everybody told you to do, trying to make good grades in high school so I get into a good college so that maybe I can get a good job and that would sort of be that. And yeah, it was, you know, in meeting this woman and realizing, you know, okay, one day, and this is how my mind thinks, uh, again, it's, it's, it's 
rationally irrational because I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, you met this woman. This is somebody you could definitely marry. Okay, well, what does it mean to be married? Okay, well, I'm probably gonna need a house. Well, let's back in before I can get a house. I'm probably gonna need to like propose to her. And to propose to her, I'm gonna need to have an engagement ring. Diamonds are really expensive. And so I need to make money. How much money do I have right now? Well, I don't have enough money to do any of this stuff. And again, this was the logically illogical thing process that my, my brain went through. And for the first time ever, I wanted more. I wanted more than what I had. And I wanted more than what I thought a normal, um, the normal path would give me. And, and not even that I necessarily wanted it more. I wanted it faster. I think that was the biggie. I wanted it faster. Um, I, I didn't want to have to wait until I graduated to maybe get a job, to maybe make some money. And I had done the maths and I'm like, God dang, this isn't going to be enough. Um, and so I knew I needed to do something. I started looking around for opportunities at the time. The internet was still fairly new. I mean, this was 1999, 2000, uh, you know, Google was a science fair project, but yeah. I looked at it and I thought there's an opportunity here. There's an opportunity for somebody like me who doesn't know what I'm doing to maybe make a splash in a way that I couldn't do before. And, um, so yeah, I, um, I, I, my very first business that I launched was selling a little ebook on how to make your own baby food. Yeah. Um, and I remember making that very first sale and thinking to myself, you know, I can, I can figure this thing out. Uh, and, and so I learned marketing um, and I learned digital marketing um, because the digital realm was the only place I felt like I could compete. Certainly the only place I could afford to compete. Um, and the only reason I wanted to learn marketing and digital marketing was just because I needed to make some money. It really is as simple as that. Um, that little ebook on how to make your own baby food, obviously, ballooned into a lot more things. Um, that little idea on, hey, I need to figure out marketing ballooned into, uh, I guess, a brand. But uh, it really did all start from this idea of I want more than I have and I want it faster than I probably deserve. Yeah, so I'm really taken back when you say that you're directionless. And I'm listening to you making, going through this rationale, narrowing market, identifying where you can compete. Just for the record, when I was 20 years old, I was in the Marine Corps lighting my farts. So, <laughs> so you were already years ahead of me. And I, and I think, I think most people would be surprised by that, you know, because most 20 year olds in college at UT or elsewhere, unless they're you or Michael Dell aren't starting a business in the dorm room, they're, I don't know, maybe lighting farts or doing something else. Yeah, I didn't, I think it's important to acknowledge, I didn't think about it as I'm going to start a business. You know, I thought about it as I just need to make some extra money. And um, I didn't come from a family with a lot of money. So I was attending college on grants and scholarships and student loans. And so any extra money that I needed, I had to work for it. And so I had a part-time job and that basically um, covered my rent and, and some food if I wanted to go out to dinner, um, you know, go out, go out with my buddies, you know, once or twice a week. Um, but it, there wasn't any margin there. And so I was looking for a way that I could make some extra money and I knew I didn't have time. So for me, that's why I say like direction, I wasn't, I, I wasn't directionless in a way that I was, I think when a lot of people think of directionless, they think of people that are wandering and making bad decisions. I just generally was fine. You know, I was content with the life I had. I mean, I was poor going into college, but you're a broke college kid. You're supposed to be poor. Even the rich kids pretended like they were poor to fit in. So it's not like it was a bad thing, but it wasn't until I had a mission. It wasn't until there was something I wanted that was worth more than, than what I knew I needed to invest to get it that I was motivated. And I think a lot of people, I look at my own kids. So let me 
fast forward, right? That woman that I did, you know, meet the freshman year that I thought, you know, was probably the woman I was going to marry. We, we did wind up dating for a number of years. Uh, my junior year, I proposed, we got married the weekend after, uh, after we graduated from college. Um, so I knew two weeks in probably the woman I waited a couple of years before I actually, you know, acted on that feeling. Um, and by that point I had made enough money to pay for the ring and, you know, even start to build a down payment on a house. So it worked out. And now today, here we are, we just celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary. We, you know, have four amazing kids. And I'm looking at my oldest, who's 17. He's starting a senior year of high school, you know, going to be going off to college. And he doesn't really know what he wants to do yet. And I think that's fine. Um, I think that's fine. I think he'll figure it out um, when there's something that he truly wants. And it's why we've been very careful. Our kids have great lives, but, you know, they don't get everything and they yeah. make it clear like, you know, you know, you're not rich. Your mom and dad do pretty well, but, you know, you're poor and you're going to need to go earn it um, because I want them to have that same feeling I had. Uh, I want them to be so overcome by something that they don't yet have that they're willing to sacrifice to get it because I think that's life. Yeah. And you raise a really interesting thing there. I mean, so one of the things I asked you uh, a couple months ago when we talked about doing this podcast was what what you want your legacy to be, be, and you focused immediately on your kids. And I think one of the challenges, you know, the the crucible that made you was poverty and struggle. And, you know, parents don't want their kids to be impoverished or struggle. And so your kids are starting out in another place. How do you do that? I mean, how do you, how do you, point your kids in a direction that's going to be bountiful for them and help them build their own legacy. It's hard. And, um, and I'll tell you, I don't, I don't know that we've necessarily got it perfect. Um, you know, my family and I, every, every year, one of the things I'm really big on for a variety of reasons is I take a 30 day vacation, um, every year. And, um, you know, this year, my family and I went to Europe uh, and you know, we went all over Europe and it had an amazing experience, an amazing time eating great food, staying at great places. Now my wife and I sat up in first class and they were back in premium economy. And so does that mean that they're slumming it? I don't think so. You know what I'm saying? Like when I was a kid, our, our vacations were going on camping trips down by the river. Um, that being said though, I was, I never felt impoverished. Right. And I think it's important to remember that if you were born in a Western um, culture where you have freedoms, where there is some basic rule of law, where you generally have air conditioning and indoor plumbing, you're wealthy beyond imagination. Um, and, you know, and, and so I didn't want to go to the extreme of, of depriving my children of, of all of these things, because there's stuff I want to do, and I want them to come along, because I like them, right? I wanted them to enjoy it. But I never wanted them to feel like, um, that it was theirs alone, that they had done anything to earn it. I, I always wanted to make sure that they saw it as a, as the blessing that it is. And I think that's the difference between blessed children and spoiled children. You know, um, do they see the gifts that they have as just that, um, as gifts, as a blessing, or do they see it as something that they are entitled to? The second my kids, so, I mean, to answer your question, like, how do I make sure I make sure that my kids never, never display a sense of entitlement. And when, when I, when they do, I'm quick to remind them, you know, this isn't yours. Um, this was given to you. You can have it as long as you're, uh, as long as you appreciate it. Uh, and if you can't, then, then I'll take it away from you. 
Um, so that that's that's kind of the first thing. Um, I have always tried to encourage inputs, not outputs. Um, so I was very, I'm, I'm very kind of slow to go to my kids and be like, you made an A in that class. That's good. I mean, I will, if they, if they get an award and they make an A, I'll, I'll say like, that's great, but I'm, I'm going to spend way more time praising the effort that they put into something, the time that they invested in something, um, how they, how they worked, you know, more diligently to get this thing done. Um, and, and, and because I think that's what it comes down to. If my kids see this life, uh, their job as as making positive inputs, the outputs are going to take care of themselves. Um, if all we talk about are outputs, then they're going to think the outputs are it. They're going to look and be like, but I've got all this stuff. I've got all these outputs. Clearly, I must be amazing. I don't have to do anything for it. And I think that's when people get spoiled, kids and adults alike. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I saw a story couple of years ago, Bill Gates daughter, and she was doing this worldwide sailing trip and she's doing all these Instagram uh, photos all around the world. And I just thought, wow, you know that. And she's, you know, she was the age where you're contemplating buying that wedding ring. And she's mm -hmm. just off on this kind of world tour that 99% of the world will never have the opportunity to do. I mean, 99.99999%, right? Um, and, and I'm not, look, I'm not here to say that that is uh, necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. I'm very thankful for the struggles that I've, that I've had. Um, but I'm, but I'm at the same time, not going to over-dramatize the struggles that I had when you look at the things that people in this world currently are facing in terms of real true hardships. Um, you, know, you think about the people who, you know, are dealing with war and famine um, all over the world. Uh, you think about the people who were born in the wrong place or in the wrong century, um, they you know they don't get the shot, they don't get the opportunity. I'm so thankful for the opportunity. I won't apologize for it, um, but I'm also thankful that it wasn't just handed to me on a silver platter. Um, uh, you know, it wasn't always easy, but but uh, I'm thankful for the skills that I learned. And I don't know how to give that to anybody, right? I think we're all just born into our circumstances and. I want my kids to be happy and I want my kids to build upon whatever gifts they've been given, whether it's from me, uh, whether it's from, you know, friends, you know, maybe there's some long lost great uncle that I didn't know about that dies and leaves them a bunch of cash. Great. I just want them to take what they have and to build upon it, right? Turn, you know, gardens into cities. I, I just want to, that's all I want. And above all else, I just want them to be happy. Um, and if we can leave it a little better than we found it, um, and find just a little bit of purpose and joy along the way, then I think that's a life well lived. That's awesome. You know, one of the things I heard you say once, and you were on stage when you said this, and the words were roughly along the lines you said, if you hear me say anything insightful, I guarantee you I got it from someone else. You know, and, and I think what you were trying to communicate was, you know, kind of um, Sir Isaac Newton's, you know, statement, if, you know, if I've managed to see farther, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. Yep. And so baked in that is there's a lot of knowledge out there that's accessible to everybody. For some reason, you seem to have taken that knowledge that's accessible to everybody and you've gone farther with it than most. How would you, and let me put this back in the context of your kids. 
how would you instruct them to do that so that they can take the wealth of knowledge that's commonly available and do more with it than others? I'm not sure that that's everybody's gift. Um, I've known some some people who are truly original thinkers, and they come up with very, very unique ideas. Um, I don't believe there's anything new under the sun, but I do believe that there are some really unique takes on things that where people are seeing seeing things that have never really been seen before, um, that, that are inventing things that didn't exist before. Um, and, and these are people who they 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 think about the world. And, and they can see gears coming together and turning and producing something. Um, they, can, they can envision and imagine um, a symphony being played. Um, and they can think about it essentially from scratch. They're always gonna be building upon something, whether it's language or music theory or basic laws of physics and you know, engineering. They're always gonna be, but, but they see things in a way where they're truly taking raw materials and creating something new. That's not what I'm particularly great at. Um, what I think I'm good at, if I'm good at anything, it's observing the world around me and distilling it into a way where it's transferable to others and to myself. Uh, and that's why I say if I've ever said something smart, it's because I it's a distillate of something that somebody else said. Every now and then I'll think I had an original idea and I'll go back and read a book that I read five years ago and there it is like highlighted. Um, so, but I, so I think there's there are people who are really good at at creation, at creative ideas. Uh, I think about artists, right? That's not me. I think that there are people who are distillers, synthesizers. That is me, right? I think that's what I'm good at. And then there are people who are phenomenal at at just picking stuff up and running with it. They're action takers. They're the doers. Um, and you know, sometimes the doers can be an incredible athlete. Right. Somebody who's just yeah. this phenomenal, you know, athlete, um, they could be a musician, but not a composer. Right. And yet we celebrate them as well. So we celebrate people at all of these different levels, the creators, the synthesizers, you know, the doers. And um, and I think I'm a synthesizer. I think synthesizers very often get credit for being creators when in reality um, they're good synthesizers who are either intentionally not citing their sources or like me, they just forget. Yeah. Um, and so synthesizers get credit for being creators when they're really not. I don't know that I necessarily would encourage my kids to be anything other than what they are. Um, you know, I, I see my oldest son and, and uh, he can sit down and just crank. Uh, he, he loves to code and he can just go and just crank out a bunch of stuff and he can be self-taught. Um, and, and we'll see if he can develop his own creative ideas. But right now I know he can take stuff and just, produce work there is product to his activity he is productive um we'll see with some of the other kids you know my my youngest son is incredibly creative my oldest daughter very creative we'll see how these things manifest i'm not necessarily looking for them to become anything i see my job as shepherding them to help them discover their gifts um and, and helping to build upon them so that they can be the best version of whoever they are well, that's that's awesome yeah. I, and I, you know, as I'm listening, I think I would, you know, there's a part of me that wants to replicate. I think there's a lot of people that probably want to replicate, you know, and it's kind of similar to we hire people that are most like us when we yeah. should probably be hiring people that are much different from us. Um, and, and so I think that's incredibly insightful to say, you know, your goal isn't to replicate, but to, to guide and shepherd so they can map their own journey. And I think that's, 
unique and special. Yeah, and and I think what what's helpful for me is that all of my kids are so incredibly different. Um, I mean, so incredibly different. And and my wife, um, like, I come from a family of lower middle class, a lot of you know farmers, hard workers, um, but not exactly academics. Right. I don't I don't come from a, like a long line of academics. I mean, I there's significant chunks of my family that, you know, drank themselves to 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 death and are in prison. Not and that's not an exaggeration. Wow. Right. So it's not like I, I come from just like this long line of like, you know, brilliant academics. And then I look at my wife, her family on one side, it's all mathematicians. On the other side, it was all linguists. Like they're wow. they're this family who I remember when we were dating, you know, I went to meet them, you know, and, and was hanging out with the family and I would hear things like. Um, you know, I haven't seen the movie, but I read the book, yeah. you know, nobody in my family read books. Right. right. And so I see this group of people and they're all so different. And I see in my own kids, things that are similar to me and things that are similar to my wife and things that are similar to different people in their family. And so I think it was easier for me because we're not this, just, um, this monolithic sort of, and I've known these families where it seems like all the kids are kind of the same. And that's probably not true. Like if you're the parent, you probably know that they're all completely different, but my kids are so freaking different that I had to do business pretty early on with the reality that, you know, it's possible that my kids won't, won't all, you know, start their own companies while they're in college. It's very possible that won't be the case. In fact, it's highly likely it won't be the case. How do I feel about that? Um, and I'll tell you, having been an entrepreneur now for 20 plus years, I believe that there are some, some things in life that are more of a calling um, you know, that could be vocational ministry. Um, I think entrepreneurialism is one of those things because most days I wouldn't necessarily wish it on my worst enemy. Um, but if it's who you are, then it's what you're going to do. But I've had enough hard days as an entrepreneur to know that like, you know, if my kids can be content, um, uh, and find, uh, find meaning in their, in, in their work, then, um, and then they can find someone to share their life with then I'm going to be really, really happy for them. They don't have to be me. That's awesome. You, you know, you mentioned your wife and there's been a question that's been rattling around my head. You know, so I, I'm thinking back to the story where you had, uh, what was it, a half million dollars, uh, a half million dollar tax bill that was due and it was due in a short period of time. It wasn't quite a half a million. It was it was a, a quarter million. Quarter yeah, million. So it was about $250,000. Um, but I think what you're thinking of is I, I, I was in 250,000 in debt. Um, and then I dug myself out of that hole, but the way I dug myself out of that hole was by not paying taxes. And so then I was in $250,000 in new debt instead of this time it was the IRS instead of the credit card companies. So, um, I've dug some pretty deep quarter million dollar holes a couple of times in my life. Wow. Well, here's the thing that amazes me. And you know, a little bit about my story. You know, I spent three months in the hospital. You, you, probably know my wife was anybody that's read my wife's journal, you know, thinks she's a saint for the work that she did to keep me alive. And so she's demonstrated her love and her commitment to me. And I'm picturing going up to my wife and saying, Hey, by the way, we're a quarter million dollar in debt with the IRS. Who's the world's most aggressive uh, debt collector. And if I remember right, your wife said, well, I'm sure you'll figure it out. And she went to bed. And that still amazes me to this moment because my wife who 
did heroic things to keep me alive. I think that would be the point she would put me to death. She, If she could go back and pull the plug, she would pull the plug. That would be the end of Craig. I'm amazed by the trust that she had in you, that she could just say, okay, you'll sort it out. I'm going to bed. How does somebody build that kind of trust? I like to think that trust is built when you've demonstrated the ability to do the thing that you're asking someone to trust you about. I mean, at its core, right? I mean, I think that there's an aspect of blind trust, but we would call that faith. Um, I don't know that she, I think there's a degree to which she had faith in me because she just believed in this person that she, um, that she married. But for better or worse, I had gotten us into a number of financial scrapes before and had always managed to, to dig my way out of it. And I don't say that with any sense of pride. I mean, part of you know my journey as an entrepreneur ha has been learning the hard lesson over and over again that growth is not enough, um, that you can't grow yourself out of a bad business model, that just because you got a lot of top line doesn't necessarily mean there's a bottom line. I mean, there's some very basic business 101 lessons that as good as I was at certain aspects of business, I was so bad at other things for about the first you know 10 or so years of my career. Um, and so I think for better or worse, I had gotten us into enough bad financial scrapes, had, had been able to dig us out. And so I do think she had faith in the person that she married. Um, I think she had faith that no matter what, we would be okay. Um, you know, I mean, when when I proposed to her, she thought I was going to, she didn't know I had like this business that was doing something. I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but I never, it was just, to me, it was a side hustle. Uh, she thought I was going to become a pastor, a vocational minister. And, and oh, wow. so she didn't expect to have a bunch of money, you know, and she was okay with it. And so she's like, ah, if we lose it all, it's fine. You know? And so I think she had faith that we would be okay. Um, and then at the, but at the end of the day, you ask, where did trust come from? I think trust comes from consistency. I think it comes from consistently delivering on a, a known and measurable outcome. And again, for better or worse, I had consistently delivered upon getting us in financial trouble and getting us out of financial trouble. I'm proud to say that since that particular incident, I have not gotten us uh, in any scrape anywhere near that before. I did finally learn that lesson. <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah, I I still think, uh, um, yeah, Karen would regret not pulling the plug on me if, if I got <laughs> her into that kind of debt, which was a choice she had. Um, Anyway, well, I tell you what, so th this has been awesome talking about your family. Let's talk about um, your how you touch the rest of the world. And let me start with kind of a, a, a Uber ride that was in, I forget how many years ago, five, six years ago. I was in Vegas. I was sharing an Uber with somebody. We were going to a conference and he was one of the conference speakers. And on the whole Uber ride over to the hotel, He's telling me how much he hates the organizer of the conference. And I'm like, well, this is really interesting. You're, you're, you're going to speak at this guy's conference and you just obviously despise the guy. That's, but not enough to not speak at his conference. Yeah. And, and I've seen other elements like that in the marketing community. It, it feels a little bit catty. And, and just for clarity, I've never seen that from you, but I'm sure you've seen the same thing. And what what's your take on that? What's what's going on? How should we respond? What how should we work with our fellow marketers? 
Yeah, I mean, look, I, I see this in a lot of industries. Um, what what you have, um, and I think it's just a human condition, is a deep insecurity. Humans are deeply insecure people, um, and uh, and and for those of us who don't feel like we have agency or autonomy um, to 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 make ourselves better, it's far easier to point out the flaws in others. And again, this is just a basic human condition. I think it manifests itself perhaps more in the marketing community because I think. Um, you know, marketers are salespeople. And so we're really good at selling ourselves and others, and we're good at, at persuasion. And, and so we can, we can manipulate others and we can manipulate ourselves. And sometimes we use this for the forces of good. And sometimes we use it for the forces of evil. Um, so I think we see it more um, because we're in it, but I don't think that it's necessarily unique uh, to marketers. I think what, what we're seeing and is and it, again, it's not new, but I think it's been amplified by um, our, our social media culture. You know, it's it's very easy to go and and look at what is being packaged and presented to us as normal. That is not normal and that is not even true, right? Whether it's on Instagram or whatever, um, we are being told the things that are good and that we should seek to be. And when we look around and we see that we're not that, we get upset. Um, and we feel like we are less than, and we can either accept that, yes, I am in fact less than all these people, and that's just my lot in life, and I got to deal with it, or we can choose to knock them down, or we can choose to elevate ourselves. I reject all of those, and my thing is always just, I want to play by my own rules. Yeah. Um, I, that's all I ever want to do. And if I ever see myself comparing myself to somebody else, what I know is that that's, that's my own insecurity, and that that's something that I need to work on. So when I hear that from somebody else that I... Like if it's somebody that I really care about, I, I hear them kind of knocking somebody else and trashing on somebody else. Um, I may pull them aside, not in that moment, and have a conversation and just say, hey, I heard you saying this. Like, what's up with that? What's going on in your world? That's not you. Uh, if it's somebody I don't know, then I'm just going to ignore it and let it pass because I don't know this person well enough to necessarily feel like I'm the ideal vehicle to bring some truth into their life. Into their life. Um, so I'm going to let it go. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's just the human condition. Well, and you said something really key in that when you pull them aside, you said, what's going on? This is not you. Mm -hmm. And so in that, and I think there's something really powerful. I want to pull in that thread. What you're saying to them is I see the greatness in you. I see a greatness in you that's being hidden by this activity, but speaking to it's, it's encouraging and identifying their positive traits how would you, how do you put that to work? How would you teach your kids? How would you teach others to do that? We, I mean, I, I do talk, I talk to my kids about this a lot because I've got teenagers and if there's any group that is insecure, it's teenagers. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll come home and, and, you know, my daughter's upset because, you know, somebody who she thought was a friend said some mean things about her and, you know, and, and um, so we'll have a conversation about just, well, you know, how do you feel about you? How do you think we feel about you? You know, why do you think they would say something like this? And so uh, I'll tell you, uh, I've been in business long enough that I've had people do bad things to me, right? Um, and, you know, and I've had, I've had, I've had, and somebody doing something bad to you is different from, I've also been in business deals where things just didn't work out and bad stuff happened and it wasn't anybody's fault. It's just business, right? Sometimes crap doesn't work out and, you know, being part of friends, but I've definitely been in enough things where I was, you know, quote unquote, screwed, right? Now I can 
take that experience and I can say, well, I was screwed and I'm the victim and this person's bad. Or I can think about it and I can go, stuff like this happens all the time. I'm not unique and I'm not precious. You know, it's not like I was promised that this kind of thing would never happen. So let's not, um, let's not catastrophize this. Let's not over dramatize this stuff. Things happen. This ain't the worst thing that's happened to somebody freaking get over it. Um, but then for me to truly be able to forgive that person, the only path I've seen is to pity them, is to feel genuinely, sincerely sorry for them, that, that whatever's going on in their life is so bad, that they felt like they needed to do that. Um, and it's not until um, I, I can get to a point where I feel bad for them, that I can begin to approach them in any way that's like, that's helpful. Now, if I, I have to both feel bad for them and for me to approach them, two things have to be true. I have to one, feel, feel bad for them. Genuinely and sincerely feel bad that they're going through whatever they're going through that, that brought them to this place. But two, and this is important, I have to be grateful for them. Because if I only feel bad for them and I go to talk to them, I'm going to wind up preaching to them and, and positioning myself as though I'm above them. But if I both feel bad for them for where they are right now, and I combine that with being very grateful for the things that they have done for me and that they're in my life at all, those balance out and I can approach them as a peer and as a friend. You know, um, so that's that. That's why I say I don't try to speak truth into people who I don't know very well, because all I do is pity them. I don't feel a sense of gratefulness to them yet. So I'm not the person to talk to them. I pray that somebody else will be, you know, in their life, but that person right now isn't me. Um, but that's, that's, I go, that's the conversation I have with my kids is just, you know, this is the deal. Um, you know, and, and at the end of the day, um, I don't, I'm not friends with people who are consistently negative and who consistently talk badly about other folks. Right. I'm, I'm just not, those aren't people that, I attract into my life. They're not people that I really allow into my life for any length of time. And so because of that, if somebody is just perpetually negative, they're never somebody I'm really going to engage with in a meaningful way. So the only people that I'm going to have those conversations with are people who that's not their normal thing. And so it is easy for me to be like, man, sit you, what's going on? And, and look, there's plenty of times where I need that mirror needs to be pointed at me as well, because I can go there I can go to that bad place. And I need the people around me to go, this isn't you. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Had a bad day. You know, I think I've missed that second component, you know, that you talked about it. I mean, I knew I had to get to the point where I, I had, you know, I felt bad for them. I, I the pity that you're talking about, you know, in one way that I put it was grieving the choices they were making in their life, you know, and yeah. seeing how it was hurting them. But I have to be honest, I think I've, until now, I've never heard that second component of being thankful for them. And I can see how that's powerfully transformative in the relationship. Yeah. And, and sometimes it takes a long time to get there. Like if you've been hurt and burned, sometimes you got to really do, um, do a lot of business with that situation um, to get yourself out of victim mode, uh, pure victim mode and into, okay, I feel bad for them. And God dang it. Look at the end of the day, they wouldn't have been in a position to hurt me like this. If they hadn't done some pretty great stuff for me, I never would have let them get that close to me. Um, you know, I think it'd be hard if it were just some random act of violence. You know, I don't know that I, I don't know that I'm big enough to ever completely forgive that person. You know, somebody just comes along and like they, you know, stab somebody that I care about. Like, I don't know that I ever get to the point where I'm just grateful that you exist. I probably die utterly despising that person. Hopefully not. But like, I don't have a framework for that. I do have a framework for 
someone who you cared about hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> and so how do we get past that? And so that's, uh, the, and, and having lived that and experienced that, haven't experienced any random acts of violence yet. God, I hope I don't, um, you know, but uh, having experienced the the former, uh, you know, that, that kind of two-step framework has helped, helped me. And that's what I share with my kids. So let me tie, tie into that a little bit. The, um, you know, over the years, as I've observed digital marketer, I've seen some people leave that I know you've invested heavily in. And at some point for a lot of people that registers as rejection. How do you process it when you see somebody leave your world? I initially processed it as rejection. I mean, that was how I initially, uh, that's how I, that's how I felt about it. And I, you know, thankfully had some, some good mentors and some more experienced people around me who said, um, you know, when this person joined your company, was your expectation that they would stay forever? Well, no. Okay. So they're making a choice based on what they believe is best for them. Do you feel like they should have to sacrifice what's best for them because you, because maybe that's what's best for you? Well, no. Okay. Well, then get over yourself. And again, that's sometimes I need the mirror held up into my own face. And I was like, yeah, you know what? You're, you're right. And so again, um, what if I just choose gratefulness? What if I just choose to be grateful, you know, for the time that, um, that that person gave me and, and look, I've had very important people at all of my companies, um, leave. I, it is, it is not a, a new thing. And now I, I'm not even surprised and I'm not even upset anymore. Um, it, you know, what's helped is having older kids and doing, you know, beginning to do business with the reality that my own children are going to leave and that that is a good thing. Yeah. Right. I don't see it as a rejection or as them being disloyal. You know, if if they go off and start their own families, like that's the whole point. Right. And and the same, I think, is true with 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 team members. Um, what I now say to anybody who's entering a higher level uh, point of the company is I say, look, what we are entering into is a mutually exploitative relationship. And I choose that word intentionally because I want it to hit. Right. We are seeking to exploit one another to the you know, maximum degree. You want to get as much as you can out of me in this company, and I want to get as much out of you and your talents and abilities. And as long as those two things are aligned, this is going to be great. Because we're not a family. This is not a marriage. This is a team. Okay? It is a team. And as long as I'm you know, giving you a lot of benefit in the form of experience, in the form of opportunities, uh, in the form of brand exposure, in the form of money, right? The paychecks are clearing, then you're going to be happy. And as long as I feel like I'm getting more out of you than what I'm paying you, then I'm happy. But there's going to come a day where these two things are not going to be aligned. Either I don't feel like I'm getting this much out of you, or you feel like you're putting more in than you're getting out. You feel like you have better opportunities elsewhere, whether through your own efforts or through another company, you can get better compensated for your abilities. My only ask, and again, this is what I say to people when they're getting into higher echelons of my company. My only ask is if ever you feel like we're going out of alignment, you come to me and we have a conversation about it. And I promise to do the same for you. And there have been people who um, have been with me for years and we were just getting out of, out of alignment. Um, it just, those things were, were no, I had a director of partnerships um, who, you know, became a really good friend. And we both, I kind of had to acknowledge like, man, this just doesn't, this doesn't make sense. I, I'm not getting the value out of you that I need. And I know for a fact, you've got better opportunities elsewhere. Am I missing anything? You know, this person was mature enough to be like, no, no, you're right. I've been thinking it too. Okay. Let's talk about then 
what does it look like to depart his friends? Um, and he wound up slowly leaving the company over a period of about six months. And it was amazingly great for all involved. I've had other people who didn't know how, they, they didn't have the maturity, I would say, to come to me and have that conversation. They felt like I was asking too much out of them. And rather than coming and saying like, hey, I'm just not getting as much out of this relationship that I need. I, I think I need to move on to other things. Let's have a conversation about what that looks like. You know, they, they kind of threw a grenade, blew stuff up and, you know, went on their own way. Um, and that's one of those cases where it's like, well, that sucked. Yeah. <laughs> but I can feel bad for the person. They felt the need to do that, but also grateful that they were there. And in every single case when that's happened, we've always come back around, talked about it and, have, you know, remained friends to this day. Um, but I don't believe as an employer that you ever should feel like somebody was disloyal because they found opportunities elsewhere. I see it as it's incumbent upon me to continue. If, if I care so much about somebody, if they're so valuable, then I have to be the most best and most obvious place for them to realize that value. And if ever I can't, then that's my fault, not theirs. They need to pursue what's best for them. Well, that's awesome. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. And again, I want to thank you for uh, joining us today. Now, from what I understand, you have a book coming out called Get Scalable. So what's in that book? What, what should people expect from that? Well, as I say, it's not a marketing book. Um, and so I'm, I'm a, I think I'm, I'm known as a marketer. I generally play a marketer on TV. I identify as a marketer, but really, you know, I learned marketing because I'm an entrepreneur. And um, as I said, you know, talked about some stories before about how I've experienced the ups and downs of the entrepreneurial journey and had a lot, learn a lot of things the hard way. And um, what it actually means to truly scale a business, to scale a business beyond just a side hustle, a startup beyond like six and seven figures, but, you know, into eight, you know, plus figures and 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 realize some really significant exits. Um, that's a lot of stuff that I've that I've been learning, and that's been my primary focus and my primary work over the past decade. But I haven't really talked about it. Um, and so, in twenty twenty one, we actually launched a new company called the Scalable Company, which I wanted to do because it gave me an opportunity to talk about things outside of marketing. You know, digital marketer. It's a business. It's a thing, but. Everybody who's involved in digital marketer today knows more about marketing, the tactical aspects of digital marketing than I do. And so mm. I'm going to let them talk about it. And what I want to talk about is stuff that I know and that I'm good at and that I'm passionate about. Um, and that's all the things related to scaling and exiting companies. And so um, we launched a brand in around that. I've been doing a lot of work there, but I felt like it was finally time to you know, take all these different ideas that I've learned about building systems at entrepreneurial companies uh, packaged up in a book and that's what Get Scalable uh, is all about. So uh, I'm really proud of it in an age of, uh, you know, AI uh, and chat GPT. Um, it's maybe one of the few books that was actually written 100%, you know, by me, you know, no AI, no uh, uh, ghost writers or anything like that. Um, and so I'm really proud of the book. It's, it is it is the book that I wish I would have had back in you know, 1999, 2000, when I was starting, you know, my business and definitely the book I wish I would have had uh, before I got myself in a quarter million dollars worth of debt, not once, but twice. Uh, so that's the book. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it'll be out towards the end of this uh, year. But if anybody wants to get a, you know, access to a manuscript or get on the waiting list, it's just uh, getscalable.com. Getscalable.com. That's awesome. And, you know, when you started talking about the book, I, I pictured, a graphic that you use that shows three circles 
you know, uh, that has authority, uh, acquisition and automation and how having, having all three of those areas are essential to building a scalable company. And the reason I bring that up is you said this earlier, you, you take information, you distill it down. And I think for those that get the books, uh, get scalable, what they'll find is you take complex concepts and you make them easy and digestible. And so I do hope that people reach out and get that book. Uh, Ryan, I, again, I want to thank you for your time today. Uh, this been, has been amazing. I had another half dozen questions, but the uh, I, I think you shared some really valuable lessons in terms of how to lead your family and how to lead in, in your vocation. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate the conversation. All right. This is Craig Andrews. I want to thank you for listening to the Leaders and Legacies podcast. We're looking for leaders to share how they're making an impact beyond themselves. If that's you, please go to alliesforme.com slash guest and sign up there. If you got something out of this interview, we would love you to share this episode on social media. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tag them on social media and let them know about the show, including the hashtag Leaders and Legacies. I love seeing your posts and suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss anything, please go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to my team. If you want to know more, please go to alliesforme.com or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.